Hey everyone, this is Cindy from Nursing and NCLEX Mastery. I am talking with you today about chronic kidney disease or chronic renal failure. And also another term is chronic renal insufficiency. You will hear all of these terms used to describe a decrease in renal function. Renal failure is a huge part of what we tend to as nurses. As with previous podcasts, we want to highlight key points for entry-level nursing. So when you hear this sound, pay close attention because it may show up on the NCLEX. As a former urology nurse, I recall a provider telling me that as soon as we are born, we begin to lose kidney function, kind of like wear and tear on your car tires. That makes sense. I mean, it's Somewhat normal for kidney function to decline with age as you get older over many decades as part of the aging process. Now, if you have other chronic conditions that affect the health of your kidneys, like diabetes or hypertension, then that decrease in function is going to happen more quickly and more pronounced. Like other major organs, you only have the nephrons that you were born with, right? So in countries with advanced health care, the percentage of those living later in life with one or more chronic conditions has been on the rise. So consequently, chronic renal insufficiency, end-stage renal disease, or acute kidney failure make up a large workload for nurses in every healthcare setting as that segment of the population gets older in age and gets larger. Now let's talk about the scope of the problem for just a minute. There are about 47 million patients in the United States that have chronic kidney disease. That's about 15% of the U.S. population. So worldwide, this condition is often even referred to as an epidemic. Again, we're talking about this particular population that is growing and getting older and living into their later years, and therefore we see more chronic renal disease. One of the most important things to remember about chronic renal disease is that it is a silent disease. Advanced stages show symptoms, but earlier stages don't, at least not usually. So early intervention and treatment is important to slow the progression and to decrease overall healthcare cost. Because of this, some countries have developed public health programs targeting early intervention. Chronic renal disease is usually caused by intrinsic damage over many years. And if you want to review the types of kidney damage, definitely check out our other podcasts and blogs that cover acute renal failure in detail. Now, most specialists agree that screening isn't needed for all patients, but screening for those known to be at higher risk is recommended. Patients at higher risk have either hypertension, cardiovascular disease, or diabetes. There are some other factors that can cause kidney damage, including medications such as NSAIDs taken at too high a dose for too long a period, or lead exposure. And in children and infants with chronic renal disease, up to half are due to renal development abnormalities, so structural problems. Another common cause which tends to lead to acute renal failure initially is the injection of IV contrast. We'll talk more about that a little bit later. So let's talk briefly about diagnosis and some of the lab work that can show renal disease. 
So markers provide clues to the cause and the location of the damage in the kidney, and that's important to remember. The most important lab marker for renal disease is serum creatinine. Protein in the urine is another marker that is seen later in disease, and it indicates actual renal injury. So when you see proteinuria when it's gotten to that point, you know that the kidney is being damaged. There's an increased risk for cardiovascular disease for patients with proteinuria. It's actually more important to look at albumin in the urine. It's called microalbumin when it's done in the office when we do a test on urine, but it's the preferred screening method uh, for early chronic renal disease, and it's preferred in an early morning sample. Now, the degree of renal damage and potential cause of the insufficiency can be investigated by performing additional urine tests, looking for things like blood and cellular casts, which are associated with things like acute tubular necrosis, for example. Another test you'll see commonly ordered are 24-hour urine tests. Typically, these 24-hour urine tests are looking for total protein, and that calculation is used in addition to the creatinine to calculate certain kidney functions. There's another more recent test called a cystatin C that some specialists will order. This is a confirmatory test that um, really should be interpreted by a specialist, and uh, you won't see it very often. Now, some people are probably thinking, what about BUN? Uh, you always get a BUN and a creatinine. Uh, BUN is less specific to renal function than creatinine because GI bleeding or dehydration can affect the level of the BUN. Now, for nursing school and passing the NCLEX, you'll always associate creatinine and BUN with evaluating kidney function or dehydration and hydration. But that being said, probably the most important indicator and marker for moderate renal disease is a decreased GFR. That's glomerular filtration rate. For more on GFR, do check out our acute renal failure topic. A great clinical tip is when the creatinine climbs above 2.0 or the GFR falls below 60, this usually means that renal failure is imminent. So some other diagnostic tests are used to evaluate kidney function. Abnormal structure is best seen with an intravenous pilogram or an IVP. But it can also be diagnosed these days with an ultrasound pretty quickly and non-invasively. And this would avoid injection of contrast because an IVP requires contrast injection. So let's hop into talking about some terminology and staging of renal disease. Uh, because that has a lot to do with what kind of teaching and interventions you're going to do as the nurse. So the first term is asotemia. And that's the accumulation of nitrogenous waste products in the blood. This is kind of a, think of it as a first stage. This is what happens when the kidney can't eliminate waste products. And this could happen acutely for acute renal failure with no chronic disease, or it could happen on a regular basis for someone who has end-stage renal disease. So the second important term is uremia. And this is asotemia, 
what we talked about before, plus clinical symptoms from toxicity, or what we call uremic syndrome, which is systemic effects from the accumulation of waste products. And at this point, abnormal lab work will show that there's damage. The third term to describe kidney disease stages is end-stage renal disease. And this is when kidney function is inadequate for sustaining life. This requires renal replacement therapies, or RRT. Another term is dialysis. At this stage, the kidneys really don't produce much urine at all. Now, understanding the end stage is important for understanding the earlier stages of chronic renal disease. The earliest signs of chronic renal disease are polyuria. So actually, the increase in urine output as the kidney struggles to concentrate the urine. So the patient will have a lot of urine output that's very diluted. This is called hyposthenuria. It's the loss of urine concentrating ability. Now the GFR falling below 60 is usually the first lab indication of chronic renal disease. But if the GFR then falls further and goes below 30, the patient will usually be referred to a nephrologist for specialty consultation. Chronic kidney disease is defined as more than three months of abnormal function or structure that affects the patient's health. Chronic kidney disease is staged according to guidelines from 2010, and the staging and prognosis is based on the GFR level, the cause of the renal disease, and the level of albumin spilling into the urine. So let's talk about stages, and we'll talk about some symptoms that can occur with each stage. There are roughly four stages of chronic renal disease. Stage one is a reduced GFR. It's usually asymptomatic. Its symptoms are often blunted by the remainder of the functioning nephrons. Stage two is called renal insufficiency. Those symptoms include nocturia. Uh, Patients get up a lot at night with a large amount of diluted urine, so they have to urinate frequently. Remember, the kidney isn't concentrating the urine, so it's producing a lot of it without eliminating the waste. Patients with stage 2 renal insufficiency can also have hypertension resulting from their kidney disease, as well as mild anemia. Stage 3 renal failure involves fatigue, some cold intolerance, perhaps anorexia, and foamy urine. And you may start to see some peripheral edema. Stage four is considered uremia. There are cognitive changes, perhaps asterixis, which is a liver flap, a spasm that happens with the wrists and hands, some neuropathy, puritis, or widespread kind of itching, nausea, weight loss, increased deep tendon reflexes, perhaps a metallic taste disturbance, and signs of fluid overload. I'm going to highlight two terms here that you might see on the test. The first one is the asterixis, which is also called commonly a liver flap, and that's that spasm that can happen with the hands and wrists. It's essentially a very noticeable tremor that occurs when the hands and wrists are extended. The second term is uremic frost. 
And this is uh, the accumulation of crystallized urea deposits that can happen on the skin for those with chronic advanced kidney disease. This is actually quite rare due to the initiation and availability of dialysis. Okay, let's talk quickly about complications from chronic kidney disease because those are really important when you're determining what assessments and interventions you're going to perform. Complications include excess fluid volume and as a result, decreased cardiac output. Anemia is quite common and the type of anemia would be normochromic, normocytic. Malnutrition is quite common as well. Also bone disorders, and this is due to the low calcium and the higher phosphorus. Parathyroid function should always be checked. That can be affected. Other problems include neuropathy, including insomnia and restless leg syndrome, infection from catheter or fistula sites, and fatigue. So nursing priorities include assessment. First, always consider causes of acute renal failure. This means that it's important to rule out acute renal failure before proceeding with treatment of chronic disease. In order to have a diagnosis of chronic disease, the function has to be affected for longer than three months. And if that kidney function hadn't changed in three months, they would be considered stable. So here are some tips. Chronic disease is more likely to show complications such as anemia, calcium deficiency, and phosphorus disturbances. Also, diuretics and congestive heart failure can often lead to decreased kidney perfusion and failure and can be fixed rapidly by providing fluid in the acute setting. Other common causes include acute tubular necrosis, which is from x-ray contrast, and urinary tract obstruction or urinary tract infection. So getting back to assessment, you're always going to check for fluid overload when you suspect renal failure. You're going to check lung sounds, listen for crackles and an S3 gallop, check for edema and ascites. And if you work in the ICU, you're going to look for increased CVP or wedge pressures. For lab work, you're going to wanna to look at a hemoglobin. These patients will have their hemoglobin checked annually. You're going to check albumin and creatinine, BUN, and GFR routinely on a frequent basis. For assessment, you're always going to check for a history of renal insufficiency, and you're going to assess the GFR when considering drug dosing for agents with a narrow therapeutic index. Chronic renal disease is so common that I would encourage all nurses to always look for a history of chronic renal disease or a risk for chronic renal disease and look for medications that might impact someone with chronic renal disease every time you review a medication list or you look at a patient's medical history. So more assessments, things to know when you're assessing your patient. All patients with chronic kidney disease are considered at increased risk for cardiovascular disease automatically, and they're at risk for acute kidney injury during any acute illness or if they're in the hospital, especially if they're receiving IV fluids or medications. It's very important that patients with renal disease and diabetes together should have 
hypertension and cardiovascular risk addressed as part of their care plan and their workup. So you're always going to perform a blood pressure measurement for these patients. In addition, these patients may have an ECG and an echocardiogram to look for the cause of their chronic kidney disease. Nurses should assess for symptoms and pain and discuss quality of life. They should ensure end-of-life care is coordinated when it's needed. Always assess for peripheral artery disease. We talked about reviewing the medication list for the medications that the patient takes at home. Ask the provider whether to temporarily discontinue drugs that pose a high risk for acute kidney injury. Some of these drugs may include ACE inhibitors, ARBs, aldosterone inhibitors, direct renin inhibitors, especially diuretics. We talked a little bit about NSAIDs before. Metformin is a medication that definitely affects kidney function and may need to be discontinued. And the other medications to pay attention to are lithium and digoxin. Digoxin is excreted by the kidneys, so you can have increased risk for digoxin toxicity if you have chronic kidney disease. Okay, that covers the focused assessment. Let's talk about interventions which is perhaps the most important role that the nurse will play as part of the care team. There are many things that we have to pay attention to and that we have to teach the patient to pay attention to in terms of their diet and intake. The first is calcium plus vitamin D supplements. We talked about how patients with chronic renal disease can have low calcium. Uh, The next thing is they need to avoid aluminum-based phosphorus-binding drugs and magnesium-containing antacids because these things can contribute to um, higher phosphorus and higher magnesium, and these patients already have a problem with that if they have advanced disease. Uh, You want to monitor the phosphorus, the magnesium, and their fluid intake, and you want to follow any prescribed restrictions for these patients in terms of fluid and diet. Also, potassium. If the patient is oliguric, they're not producing very much urine or no urine. You want to make sure that you avoid any salt substitutes that may have added potassium and monitor for signs of hyperkalemia. Now, another important aspect of monitoring and assessing the diet for these patients is to pay attention to protein intake. Now, most patients are told to follow a low-protein adequate energy diet. And the reason for that is that severe renal disease leads to a loss of muscle mass or muscle wasting. This is a complex element of the disease. It involves hormones and inflammation and other factors. But essentially, if they take in too much protein, this protein is broken down but not eliminated by the kidneys, and it results in chronic metabolic acidosis. So even though in their labs, their protein might measure low, we don't want them having too much protein. We just want them having adequate protein without creating a lot of extra waste products. Okay, some other things we should make sure we're looking at when we're seeing these patients. We want to offer adults annual flu vaccination. Um, We will probably avoid a live vaccine. It's not contraindicated, 
but you should always exercise precaution and the provider should weigh in on whether or not they should have a live vaccine. Adults should be offered a pneumovax vaccination and they would have that repeated one time five years from the first dose. And some providers will consider um, administering a hepatitis B vaccination for adults who have a very low GFR and have a risk for rapid progression. Anyone with diabetes and chronic kidney disease should have frequent foot assessments. These patients also may require smaller dosing for certain medications, including insulin, opioids, and antibiotics. The nurse takes a lot of responsibility for fluid management for these patients and provides a lot of teaching around fluid management. These patients often are asked to do daily weights. Remember, one kilogram of weight gain is about two pounds and is equal to one liter of fluid. Try to distribute the intake over 24 hours. And also keep track of I's and O's for people who are inpatient. Monitor hydration. You would do this with orthostatic blood pressures, um, checking mucous membranes for hydration. Check labs for specific gravity, elevated BUN, decreased hematocrit, and increased urine osmolality. Always perform weight before and after dialysis. Monitor sodium intake. And the last intervention has to do with treating fatigue from anemia. Uh, the goal is to increase red blood cell production. And there are two things that nurses should be aware of. The first is epigen injections. This is usually given sub-Q or IV if it's given during dialysis. And it's usually three times a week, and it's often given at their dialysis appointment. It acts like the hormone that stimulates red blood cells in the body. The second is iron supplements and folic acid. So iron improves the ability of the red blood cell to transport oxygen. So these patients will often take these supplements. So the last thing we're going to talk about is teaching. And just remember that with any of these chronic diseases, including chronic kidney disease, your teaching points are going to often dovetail off of the interventions that we just talked about. Tell your patients, consult a provider about any nutritional supplements or over-the-counter medications before you ever take them. Also, avoid herbal supplements. Discuss the risk for bleeding due to capillary fragility or poor platelet function. Instruct patients to keep meticulous skin care. Avoid nephrotoxicity by following diet advice. It's important to tell patients that insurance coverage for dialysis falls under a special program in the United States in order to cover the high cost of this therapy. So they'll want to look into that and fill out the paperwork and be accepted to that program if they're on dialysis. Bone density testing may not be accurate if the GFR is low, so let your patients know that. Encourage patients to be physically active to preserve their muscle mass. Weight-bearing exercise limits muscle atrophy. And lastly, go over the protein sources in their diet. These include eggs, milk, poultry, and dairy primarily. Most of all, when caring for those with chronic renal disease or renal insufficiency, 
Nurses need to remember that a client with chronic renal disease is at risk for kidney shutdown when they're given too much fluid too rapidly. A client with normal age-related changes may develop acute renal failure after receiving IV contrast for a CAT scan. I hope you enjoyed this podcast on chronic renal failure. Do look up our other blogs and podcasts at nursingmastery.com or follow us on Facebook at Nursing and NCLEX Mastery.